in appreciation and celebration of the grand opening of Curry Point, which was dedicated in 2016 to honor Franklin Curry's lasting and impactful legacy in the protection and conservation of the Commonwealth's natural resources. Mr. Curry, with your elegant and compelling words contained in the Environmental Rights Amendment, for over 50 years now, generations of conservation professionals have received their constitutional mandate from your iconic contribution. Article 1, Section 27 of the Pennsylvania Constitution is the catalyst and the command for our conservation mission. To mark this important occasion, we are very honored to have Department of Conservation and Natural Resources Secretary Cindy Adams Dunn joining us. And we have a substantial group of dignitaries that have RSVP'd this affair today. So I'm going to list some of them that are present today. Uh, U.S. Congr Congressman Fred Kelly. Mr. Congressman Kelly, can you acknowledge yourself there? Thank you. Uh, State Representative Linda Culver. <laughs> Former State Senator Jack McGregor. <laughs> Former State Representative George Wagner. <laughs> Former State Representative and, and Union County Commissioner John Showers. Former Schneider County Commissioner Peggy Chamberlain Roop. And former Schneider County Commissioner or former Schneider County Commissioner Mike Allmiller. Also, we're extremely pleased to have former Pennsylvania Supreme Court Justice Ron Castile with us, whom you'll be hearing from later in the program. And the day would not be complete and we would not be gathered here if we were not being joined by Mr. and Mrs. Curry. Mr. Curry, we are very honored and happy to have you with us on the park today in the celebration of the completion of the many improvements that have been accomplished at this special and remarkable place on this great river. At DCNR, we know that we are only able to meet mission and mandate for the Commonwealth through strong professional relationships and partnerships. So I want to take a moment to acknowledge and thank the Shikalemi State Parks team, the State Parks Regional Management team, and the DCNR Bureau of Facility Design and Construction Professionals that brought this expertise and vision to Curry Point. Please give them a round of applause. I also want to acknowledge and thank Lightcoming Supply, who provided construction services that transformed Curry Point. And I also want to thank Sunbury Motors who provided their mobility cart today to help folks get to the tent. And we certainly need to, need to acknowledge the dedicated volunteers of the Friends of Shikolami State Park and all of our conservation partners who give so generously in service of the public's use and enjoyment of our natural and cultural resources. The public services needed to conserve and protect our priceless natural and cultural resources are vast and perpetual. And someone that has fully and completely applied her leadership, passion, and commitment to the mission of conservation is DCNR Secretary Cindy Adams Dunn. Please join me in welcoming Secretary Dunn to the podium.
People have a right to clean air, pure water, and to the preservation of the natural, scenic, historic, and aesthetic values of the environment. Pennsylvania's public natural resources are the common property of all the people. Sorry, I didn't expect that. <laughs> including including those yet to come, property all people, including generations yet to come. As trustee of these resources, the Commonwealth shall conserve and maintain them for the benefit of all the people. We decided at DCNR that it was very fitting to monumentalize Franklin Curry and the importance of this, sorry, I got, I got Debbie Beck going too, sorry. Um, Franklin Curry and the importance of this constitutional amendment to all Pennsylvanians, including generations yet to come, it was John Norbeck's idea to find a physical place to do this. We thought, no, no place better than Chickalemi State Park. Here at the junction of the West Branch and the North Branch, so the East Coast's largest river, and Pennsylvania's, uh, half of Pennsylvania's watershed and Pennsylvania's largest river, um, and also on public land, on a state park that's owned by all Pennsylvanians, including future Pennsylvanians. So uh, we decided to name Curry Point, uh, and now we decided to unveil the improvements to Curry Point. The reason being, I'm just talking to uh, Chief Justice Castile. You know, it's 50 years since that Environmental Rights Amendment passed. 50 years from now, what will people know of it? What will people uh, understand about its importance? They come to Curry Point, uh, you know, the young people visiting the park, I don't know if they'll still Google, it'll be something different, probably something different. Uh, Franklin Curry, <laughs> and uh, there will be the story. DCNR and our partners from the Conservation Heritage Program are really uh, deeply concerned about our history, and we do everything we can to monumentalize it, to refer to it, to deeply embed it in literature and in our story of this agency and its importance in a public service. The Constitutional Amendment clearly states state government as uh, the trustee of the Commonwealth's assets. We at DCNR live that every day. Uh, John Hallis knows, uh, noted the staff from Shikolemi State Park here in the region that made today possible, but I want to take a moment to recognize uh, my executive staff. We have uh, two or three deputies here today, John Norbeck and Mike Walsh. We have Audrey Minor, our chief counsel, and, and like I was telling Franklin Curry, you know, government lawyers uh, get, get no love. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> Audrey, <laughs> Audrey uses this constitutional amendment like a sword <laughs> in, uh, in internal government meetings, and she's very, very successful, by the way. Uh, Gretchen Leslie, our chief of staff, is here. We've got Chris... Novak, uh, our director of communications and a leader in our water initiative. We've got uh, and numerous other of our executive team are here today. Uh, the, the men and women of DCNR live this mission across the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and the work they do every day as trustees of this resource. You know, it's interesting. Um, you know, Franklin, Franklin, uh, Franklin's story of winning this amendment is an amazing one of getting the seat. Uh, in the Re House of Representatives, so he was in a position to do this as a story in and of itself. I had it all written out, by the way, last night, the talking points. I heard the heat index was 100. I sat down this morning, <laughs> and I shortened them. <laughs> You'll be glad. Um, the story's in Franklin's newest book. You have got to read it. It's an amazing story. 
key to the story is Bassie Beck. Uh, Bassie Beck was the chairman of the Federation of Sportsmen's Clubs. Fifty years ago, the Federation of Sportsmen was the environmental voice in Pennsylvania, and uh, they were lobbying for clean water. Water was uh, polluted by coal fines and uh, discharge, direct discharge from the coal mines, the steel mills, everything else. There was no regard for clean water. Bassie Beck was passionate about this. He, he pulled Franklin uh, into that movement, uh, took him around the state. Franklin became very adept. Uh, you know, the first Earth Day happened, there was a national movement for a clean environment. And Franklin understood the power of this. That famous picture of, uh, I think it was Beth's idea, of Franklin holding clean water and polluted water was taken near here in sight of this place. And uh, he, won, he won an election um, on an environmental platform. And if you know Franklin's personality, he was able to garner bipartisan support for the environmental amendment just a few years after uh, getting, you know, getting the office. And when uh, you know, the, the, it passed through the House and it went over the Senate, enter an important person in the story, Senator McGregor. Senator McGregor, uh, key in Senate leadership, key in Senate Republican leadership, it was in his committee, uh, he was faced with a decision. And there was a couple amendments needed. One amendment was suggested by uh, DCNR's predecessor secretary, Doc Goddard. Doc Goddard suggested replacing one of the preserves with conserve. And that really reflected the uh, Pincho philosophy under which uh, DCNR operates today, under which forestry operated, under which uh, the agencies operate. And so uh, to, to Jack McGregor, a senator, was, was key in the passage. And so delighted you could be here today. His uh, Senate district was out in Allegheny County, but he resides in the area. And uh, so he was a key step in the process. And it's, when you learn about all these key steps and think, but if not for one of these steps, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't have this profet this 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 re the reason for this uh, celebration. We wouldn't have the success of uh, Franklin Curry's amendment. Another person that I want to mention. So so after passage 50 years ago, one would think that you know the rest you know we all live happily ever after. The air gets clean, the water gets pure, public <laughs> lands are protected, etc. But that's not exactly what happened. <laughs> Governor Shap tried to use the amendment right away to, sa to save uh, the, you know, the holy, holy territory, the Gettysburg battlefield, from an ungodly tower, and he didn't succeed. It, it, did, not, it did not succeed in, in fighting back that tower. And so the, uh, the Environmental Rights Amendment, I won't say language, that was used, it was kept alive, and one person who kept that flame alive was John Dernbaugh. John Dernbaugh had, had been a, um, an employee in the DEP. John kept that flame going. Um, as a Widener Law professor, he became a real scholar of Article 1, Section 27, wrote about it, lectured on it, uh, talked about it, kept it alive. And interestingly, it was alive in the halls of government. You know, you would see the Environmental Rights Amendment tacked to cube walls, taped to office doors. Uh, it never died in uh, the minds and hearts of the people entrusted with clean air and clean water and public lands. It's, it always spoke to those entrusted with the, the hard daily decisions people make when they're making environmental resource choices for people, for the future generations, for health, for well-being of the public. But Dernbaugh kept it elevated. And if, that, and if John Dernbaugh's work was a candle in the window, 
that candle lit into a bonfire <laughs> on December 19, 2013, when Chief Justice Supreme Court Ronald Castile issued his many, many, many page opinion uh, on the Robinson Township versus the Commonwealth case. 158 pages. 158 pages. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, that's, Huh. I, you know, I, it's one of those moments, if you're in this field, that you remember, like you remember where you were, you know, with TM, th Three Mile, you remember where you were on September 11, 20 years ago. I, you know, I think people in this field remember where they were when that opinion came out and when you know, the airlines became a buzz uh, with it. I, you know, if you carry an iPhone, they buzz, you know, when messages come in. I was walking in Philadelphia. I was working for a group called Citizens for Pennsylvania's Future. Um, walking to Philly, and the iPhone was like a vibrate on my pocket. Yeah, biz, 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 biz. You know, so I stopped. Uh, it was about to cross a busy street there in front of City Hall in Philly. Not in a safe spot, actually. And I started to read the stuff from Maya Van Rossum, the Delaware Rivers Keeper, and you know, our lawyers from Penn Future, and everyone else. It's, 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 it's a buzz with this incredible opinion that brought out the plain language that I read, not so eloquently, of uh, the Constitutional Amendment for the Environment and brought it to life. And um, it was an amazing moment for the environmental and conservation community and for the legal community, it was like the best Christmas gift ever. I think people remember remember that time. The, uh, the, the Supreme Court opinion then brought to life uh, the use of the Environmental Rights Amendment for many, many more. PEDF, Pennsylvania Environmental Defense Foundation, with Attorney John Child, have, have used the case numerous times with success in really clarifying the, the role of the state employees as trustees of use, the use of funds coming from uh, the public lands, etc. John Child, by the way, is not here. He's in Alaska probably fishing, if I know John. So he's not able to be here, but anyway, uh, yeah, John Child deserves a lot of credit for, for the work he's done. So, does that, what's that mean? Is it back on the shelf now that it's been that successful? No, absolutely not. It speaks to the work that we do in DCNR every day. We have a climate adaptation resiliency plan and a climate adaptation plan. We're putting solar arrays in state parks, electric vehicles. We're doing all kinds of things for climate especially with landscape resiliency and green infrastructure. That is for generations yet to come. There's never been a more important time for the Environmental Rights Amendment than today, here at the cusp of a, of a world-changing uh, climate that uh, needs, needs attention and needs, uh, the environment needs this protection offered by the Environmental Rights Amendment. And Franklin and others have wisely recognized that it's not going to work if Pennsylvania is the only state that has this. This has to become national and global, in fact, in its, in its approach. So that's underway. In Pennsylvania, DCNR, we have just launched a couple weeks ago, Penn's Parks for All. It's a vision for the state parks of Pennsylvania that spells out that they are for all Pennsylvanians and working on ways to make them accessible and attractive and inviting and welcoming to all and assuring the sustainability of the state park system financially. We have a state recreation plan that calls for a park or a trail within 10 minutes of every Pennsylvanian. People cannot enjoy and cannot enjoy the right that they have to the natural environment without access and close to home access. Our aspiration of a park within 10 minutes of every Pennsylvanian isn't actually a crazy one. We, we mapped it out. It's not crazy at all. It's achievable, you know, community by community, place by place, and we're working on that.
We have a state forest resource management plan that takes an e ecosystem-based approach to our management of the state forest, a sustainability approach based on the old Pinchot model of conservation, greatest good for the greatest number for a long time. We get certified by both industry groups and environmental groups on the use of our forest. Um, we have a uh, certified sustainable forestry uh, stamp. We're going through our audit uh, in a couple weeks. We do an annual audit and we're, we get that stamp of approval every year. We were the first state forest to get that approval. We are, uh, we are talking now about having a representative old growth forest in every county. This summer we recognize six new old growth forest areas. So they're not necessarily large. But what they do is give every Pennsylvanian a chance to see what Penn's Woods really was and what it is. In Pennsylvania, Penn's Woods was old growth forest and there's pieces of it. One nearby here, Snyder Middlesworth. I know Fred, uh, Fred Keller is in this district. Snyder Middlesworth, very small old growth forest. We're taking, try to rebuild places like that so people can visit an old growth forest everywhere in Pennsylvania. So anyway, it's alive and well. I don't expect that uh, we'll see the end of the case law built on uh, Chief Justice's opinion, built on Franklin Curry's amendment. But uh, with that, I'd like to turn it over uh, to a, a good friend of DCNR's, uh, State Representative Linda Culver. Uh, as was mentioned, you know, Fred Keller's here as a congressman. Uh, Fred was a state rep right before this. And uh, Fred and Linda were uh, frequent flyers on my inbox, especially with anything going on here at the park. And I, I'm convinced uh, Representative Culver, she can drive by that dam at 55 miles an hour and tell what percent of the bag deflated <laughs> and, and call me. I can't tell you many times she's had me scrambling for my last briefing on the state park. That's what a state rep should do. They should know and care about what's going on in the state parks in their district and no one, no one does that better than uh, Linda Culver. So that, Linda, I'd like to offer you a few words. I didn't think my calls were registered that much. <laughs> my family makes fun of me because I can go across the bridge and tell you what number bag is down or up. <laughs> um, so it's an honor to be here today. I didn't realize what the dedication originally was, what, 2016? Uh, Congressman Keller and I were just talking about it. It seems like it was yesterday, um, but it definitely wasn't. And one could say that I have followed very closely uh, to Franklin Curry's footsteps. Uh, shortly after being elected to office, a lobbyist came into my office called Franklin Curry, and I'm like, can't be the same one, right? I'm like, why would you want to see me for? I'm a freshman. So he comes into the office and he said, there's a few things, young lady, you need to know. And I'm like, what? We went to the same church. Uh, we went to the same high school. And now I'm holding the same seat as he did. And I can't think of following anybody better than he Ollie Wagner or uh, my predecessor Merle Phillips in this position and I'd have to say for the most part all of them have very level heads um, but the one thing I find in common <laughs> for the most part um, they are tenacious when it comes to something they believe in and you know people still talk about Franklin Curry here and the mark that he made and wish he would come back um, but they do love being able to walk past this and I take every opportunity when we're walking over here to educate whoever's with me, whether it be my two-year-old great-niece, um, to my son who's now 20, to anybody who's walking with me, to educate them on the great things that you've done and the legacy that he has left us. I mean, if you think about it, I always talk about 
I may be wrong in this, but I always say, look at this river. This is what inspired him to do what he did. Um, it may not be, but um, you can't help but be inspired by the Susquehanna River. Um, you know, you see the eagles flying down over it, this beautiful park. And uh, sometimes we take for granted all the wonderful things we have just right here in central Pennsylvania. But I think it was a great reminder this year uh, on your 50th year uh, anniversary um, of your constitutional amendment of what it means for us to see clean water, drink clean water, Breathe, breathe clean air. Um, sometimes you take that for granted and it's important that we never do that. So I just want to say I remind everybody of what you have accomplished. I remind them of what it means to have that accomplishment but I also say to them he was one man with one idea and he was not quitting till he accomplished it. And so this should also serve as a reminder if we see something that's not right we should all strive to be just like Franklin Curry and strive to do that. So your legacy is living on in this community, uh, still inspiring people to today. So thank you for everything you've done for us. And we will do our best to hold up to that legacy as we uh, move on. And trust me, if he doesn't like something I'm doing, he calls me. Uh, so, and you know, you cannot talk to him without learning something. And if anybody disagrees with that, is that correct? Are you still learning from him? Sure. See? Uh, you cannot talk to him without learning something. So I am thrilled um, that he's here with us today, and I hope he keeps calling on me because I always appreciate hearing from him. Thank you, and congratulations. Senator uh, John Gorner could not be here today. He's, uh, he, he wanted to take care to explain to me that he had a, a long-standing good excuse because he would have loved to have been here. He's uh, on a week-long trip celebrating his anniversary with his wife. If I know him, he's probably hiking and probably visiting some park somewhere and enjoying the outdoors. Senator Gordon is a, a true friend to our mission. He's a sponsor of Senate Bill 525, which would bring additional resources to DCNR, DEP, and Department of Agriculture for the very purposes of the Environmental Rights Amendment. So, uh, again, sorry that he couldn't be here. Is anyone from Senator Gordon or staff here by chance? I just want to, if anyone's here, I just want to acknowledge them. And uh, Congressman Keller, did you want to say anything? Or? I won't take much Good, time. good. <laughs> Glad you were Thank you, Secretary. Um, and I just want to say to the people that are here today and to the people that will read about this story, in the news and what the one thing that it, it exemplifies is the outstanding spirit of the people of the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania and there's not a better example of that than Senator Curry every time I get to get to be with the senator and, and my story is similar to Linda's in the fact that when I was first uh, elected to office and down in my office in Harrisburg uh, <laughs> Senator Curry comes in and we had a little bit of a conversation he came in I said hi Senator Curry and I said uh, Sunbury Owl and he looked at me and said, how did you know that? Uh, he actually uh, knew my mom's family who uh, was from Sunbury, and my grandfather was the principal and superintendent of the schools later on. Uh, but uh, I learned about a lot about uh, Senator Curry when I was in uh, high school. He was our, our senator. And uh, it was just really a great opportunity. And what a mentor and example for how we as Pennsylvanians should take care of one another, our environment, and preserve and protect that for future generations. And that has been a commitment of all of us that have followed Senator Curry. So thank you for your great leadership, outstanding service, and the legacy that we get to enjoy and that our children and our grandchildren will be able to enjoy. Thank you very much, Secretary, for including us.
Thank you, Congressman. Uh, Again, you were in another frequent flyer on my uh, voicemail with anything. Hopefully a good one. Hopefully. A good one. Always reminding me of an obligation to keep, keep the parks in good shape, which we love to hear. Okay, now I, I want to introduce a truly special guest. When I called uh, Chief Justice Ron Castile to ask him to come, I mean, to be honest, I, I was prepared for the rejection, right? I mean, he lives in Philadelphia. <laughs> I've never done anything good enough or bad enough to be in front of a Chief Justice. <laughs> and uh, and uh, you know, pe people with any government title, don't, don't, you know, I don't know if that matters, right? So I didn't know if we could talk him into coming to Shikolemi State Park in the heart of Pennsylvania. He said yes right away. It's not yeah. that bad, Cindy. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. It's the best place to be. Get, get you out of it. Get in front of us, but it's not bad. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, this is a very, very special part of Pennsylvania in my mind. I'm, I'm what they call a valley girl. I love the Susquehanna Valley, so it's this, uh, this is my my place. But I'm so glad you decided to come. I, there's a very long bio from Chief Justice Castillo in my notes last night. I, um, I shortened it. But I may expand it. I think I'm going to choose to expand it a little bit more since it's not as hot under this tent as I thought it might be. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it a little more time. You know, Justice Castillo was uh, born in a military family, his own words, a military brat, traveled around, born in Miami. And then he served as lieutenant in the U.S. Army from 66 to 68. Marine Corps. Marine Corps. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, Marine Corps, yes. I'll switch to you. It's a big difference. Um, my apologies to the army. <laughs> Sorry. <John. laughs> but a little side note here: DCNR employs the highest percent of uh, veterans of any any uh, state agency. I, uh, the adjutant general informed me of that, so we we take that very seriously and we honor our veterans uh, as, as often as we can, as much as we can. But there. Just to get a sense of the kind of person Justice Castile is, he served, his Marine Division was uh, serving in South Vietnam. I'm, I'll um, highlight some of, some of this, and it's, uh, I hope I don't get choked up as I did in the beginning, but um, his unit was ambushed in uh, North Vietnamese uh, province, and the Marines were laying and dying and, and, and dead, wounded uh, in a rice paddy, and Castile organized a rescue operation to go back in to, uh, to get them. Um, he he was severely wounded. He had to be rescued uh, by his right guide, Corporal Angel and Angel Mendez, who pulled him to safety. And he, he had you know he had a severe wound. Obviously, he directed the helicopter medevac of the other wounded Marines. It was the last to be medevac to the area. Lieutenant Castillo received a, a second gunshot uh, wound, and the uh, enemy attempted uh, to down the medevac helicopter. Um, his rescuer did not make it. I won't. I won't read the details. He was. He was lost in battle. Um, came back uh, with a severe injury, amputee, and decided uh, not not to let that define his life, and took up skiing of all. Skiing. I, I want to. <laughs> why skiing? I don't know. But skiing, and uh, and then got so into it, and so good at it, that he decided to to teach others skiing. So he'd take three months a year in Colorado and teach other amputees skiing. That's just. I just thought I'd go into a little bit there, give you a sense of the person, not just the chief justice. 
But anyway, as, as Chief Justice of Pennsylvania Supreme Court from 94 to 2014, he retired at the mandatory age 70, otherwise he'd probably still be there today. Um, he became, um, you know, again, a avid advocate for the disabled. Um, you know, one thing about military people I find, you know, if you fought and came so close to death to protect this country, are you going to let it <laughs> go down to pollution? Probably not. So I, I don't know if that's a motivational factor or not. But I find the, the military folks I work with are very uh, avid about their protection about the environment. And it's also notary enjoys golf. We won't hold that against them. <laughs> and with that, I'd like to bring up uh, Chief Justice Castile. Thank you, Madam Secretary. I gave you that re resume to read, and you left out one of the most important parts about my service in Vietnam and my injuries. For that, I received the Bronze Star for Combat V and two Purple Heart medals, and the Vietnamese Cross of Gallantry from South Vietnam, which is no longer a country, but I still have that. I'm I'm still gallant in the eyes of the former South Vietnamese. So, uh, thank you for... <laughs> thank you for inviting me here to speak a little bit about uh, my opinion in Franklin Curry's amendment, which you all know, all the people here know all about it. And Madam Secretary, when you were in Philadelphia in your back pocket started vibrating. I was hoping you say was saying it was a cell phone and not a pickpocket. <laughs> so uh, John Hallis and his staff here, thank, thank you for the service that you provide to the citizens of the great, great beautiful state of Pennsylvania. When I, uh, I'm mostly from Philadelphia, but when I ran for Supreme Court, which you elect your Supreme Court justices, which is kind of odd in itself. But I traveled the whole state, you know, and I'm from a beautiful state too, Florida. In fact, I come from a family of environmental environmentalists. My sister was the head of the Department Secretary of Department of, of, of Environmental Protection in the state of Florida under Governor Jeb Bush. I got a secretary along with a chief. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, you know, I, I have, I have been interested in this country and particularly this, this beautiful state and I've been to beautiful places. I lived for three years in Japan. If you've ever been to Japan, it's absolutely spectacular. And if you've ever been to South Vietnam, you ought to see the beaches and the, and the forest. Not so much the rice paddies, I'm like, <laughs> I'm against them. But, uh, but you ought to see that. That's a beautiful place. You know, and one day it's going to have its, uh, it's going to be like going to Thailand, uh, and, which is beautiful. And um, my chief law clerk for 10 years, Peter Gardner, he's a lawyer, but for five years of his life, he was a park ranger. 
he, he uh, I don't know what kind of a park it is, but it's the national, uh, uh, the Independence Hall area in the uh, city of Philadelphia. So uh, he, he too was interested in the environment and as a chief clerk, he's uh, pretty interested and uh, pretty much involved in this opinion, which I'll speak to you about a little bit. The, uh, I have to congratulate, you know, everybody here, everyone who's been working in this area and uh, who cares about this place and that river whatever is on the other side of those rocks over there uh, to keep it beautiful keep this place beautiful and not be despoiled so um, my friendship is with Frank Curry and, I, and he asked me to be here so I said yeah I'll be there but his lifelong partner is also here Beth Curry she's had to put up with him for 58 years And thank you for inviting me just to speak at this beautiful place, the confluence of the West Branch and the North Branch of the mighty Susquehanna River. Uh, down a little further down in the part of the state, it's often said that this great river is a mile wide and a foot deep as it drains this beautiful part of the state as it heads towards the Chesapeake Bay. And if you go down there and look at this river, in Harrisburg, it looks like you could walk across it because of the rocks and stuff. It's not as beautiful as Lake Augusta is up here, uh, but it still plays an important part in the history of Pennsylvania, specifically in central Pennsylvania. So this park itself is na named in honor of the great Native American chief of the Oneida Nation, Sikalini. And he was instrumental in helping early pioneers settle this part of our state in the 1700s. This dedication of the point in the state park today honors another local leader in this area of the state, Senator Franklin Curry. Senator Curry is being honored today, not simply for his service in the General Assembly as a state rep or as a, a state senator, uh, or for his service in Pennsylvania, or specifically for his service in Pennsylvania as state senator representing this area. So Franklin, in that period of time, was a respected and effective representative and senator advocating for the needs and concerns of this community in our state capital, Harrisburg. And he performed those duties well as an elected official. But when he was elected, he chose something important. He chose the protection of the environment as his special cause in politics. He also chose that he would clean up Harrisburg, uh, but that part still needs a lot of work. <laughs> so we got a clean river, but we got an unclean. Uh, I have to be careful about Harrisburg. That's where that's my paycheck, my retirement paycheck comes from. <laughs> I'd like to talk just a little bit about how we got here today, if I might. Franklin Curry accomplished something legislatively that few other elected officials have done in Pennsylvania's recent history. And this history goes back over 300 years. Franklin created and sponsored an amendment to our state constitution, 
Article 1, Section 27, the Environmental Rights Amendment. To amend our Constitution is no easy task. This is how you do it. The legislation creating the amendment must pass both houses, the House and the Senate, in one session. Then it must go again in the same language before a second session of the House and the Senate for a bipartisan vote to have this put on the ballot as a ballot question. The, 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 that proposed amendment went before the voters of Pennsylvania for approval of a yes or no. It's your legislation. You voted to have it. It's not their legislation. It's not Franklin's re legislation. It is you, the citizens, legislation for approving the 27th Amendment. It was voted and ratified overwhelmingly by a vote of four to one. And that's how this amendment became part of the basic law of Pennsylvania. And that is what Curry accomplished through his leadership, not just for this area, but for all Pennsylvanians. The equal, sometimes I call it the Equal Rights Amendment, because that also passed at the same time giving women the right to vote and things like that. You know. <laughs> but the Environmental Rights Amendment makes our Commonwealth environment the property of the people. The property of the people, all of us here today, and for all generations yet to come. Think of that language. It's not today, it's not for people here, it is for us now but it's going to be always for the many generations of past after we're off after we're off this green grass one of the most important parts of it and that a lot of people don't realize it is it appoints the government of Pennsylvania as the trustee of this land and of these inalienable rights and they are inalienable because it's a constitution uh, clause so what that means in few but important words is that the three branches of the Pennsylvania government must observe the 27th Amendment as the fundamental guidance for all conduct with the environment now and in the future for generations yet to come. Think of that language. Think of that what it just says in a few sentences. It's un it is unbelievable. And Franklin, you saw the importance of it, and so did the legislature. You were able to convince bipartisan legislators that this amendment is important. And we're the only state that has an environmental rights amendment. And people are working to get that in other states, but it's so difficult. It is so difficult for the amendment to be passed in those states. So the important thing about the amendment making the Commonwealth a trustee of the environment of the state of the, this land through the command of the Environmental Rights Amendment. A trustee's duty under a trust, a trustee's legal duty under a trust is governed by an extensive body of legislation and through many decisions applicable to a, a, a trustee's conduct. In simple terms, a trustee must administer the trust, the corpus of the trust, the thing of the trust, 
and make all decisions in that administration specifically, specifically to the benefit of the trust. That means the state legislature in its legislative function must benefit the trust and it cannot create legislation or act in a manner that is a detriment to the corpus of the trust, this land. So naturally the question arises, just who decides if a particular piece of legislation is beneficial to the trust or is detrimental to the trust? Here's where we're coming to me. <laughs> Sorry, Franklin, I got to take a little bit. <laughs> now the question arises, just who decides if a particular piece of legislation is beneficial or detrimental to the trust? The final decision in most instances is the courts of Pennsylvania make that decision when there's a dispute. And the Supreme Court, my former court, makes any final determination on appeal to that court. So much for a civics le lesson today. I'm supposed to laugh right there. But <laughs> so, over the many years that the ERA was approved in 1971, has the Supreme Court dealt with Franklin's amendment? The answer is yes, but only in a few cases, and Professor Dernbach can correct me if I'm wrong, if he dares. <laughs> the answer is yes, but it's only been in a few cases. It's only been a cursory manner until the Supreme Court's decision in 2013 in Robinson Township versus Washington County, Robinson Township, Washington County versus the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. That case itself involved the production of oil and gas in Pennsylvania through the process known as fracking. And that's familiar to all of you up here and what that has done to our environment. The governor, the mayor of Philadelphia, I saw him in a speech one time, and he's, he's a black fellow, good guy, nutter. He, he, actually, he actually got $50,000 from the, some, some, some fund from the frackers. And, and he told this gathered people, he said, like, I don't know anything about the Marcellus Shale. But I do know a guy in North Philly named Marcellus. <laughs> so that was his extent of knowledge about fracking. <laughs> Some guy in North Philadelphia. So Robinson Township, a lot of people don't realize that it did not approve of fracking, nor did it disapprove of fracking as a process. The approval of how you frack in the state of Pennsylvania is strictly the responsibility of the state government and not the courts. What the Supreme Court did in Robinson Township was to review Act 13. And Act 13 was a legislation that determined the manner in which fracking was allowed and is regulated in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. So the Supreme Court determined in, in Robinson Township whether or not Act 13 violated the trustee's duty to act for the benefit of the trust under the 27th Amendment for the benefit of our environment. We determined on our, my court that Act 13 violated the 27th Amendment and we nullified it and we returned the act to the legislature for future 
action. Now, the opinion itself was written by myself, really the guidance of myself, but my staff, and we looked at the arguments that were presented to us, and some of them were very, very strange, and uh, you could do one of these fracking units 300 yards from a building, it's a little church out in the countryside as I drove by on the way up here. They could get a fracking well right next to their church. They could almost build it in downtown Sunbury if they wanted to under that act. And part of the act said a doctor who found that their chemicals that they use in his extraction of, of this gas and oil are cancerous. But that act, one part of the act said, you really can't believe this, that if a doctor finds that one of these chemicals from these wells cause cancer in somebody in their drinking water, that doctor could not tell other doctors in the state of Pennsylvania or anywhere what the chemical was and what it did to his client. That was made a secret, basically. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? And that's not even the environment, that's people's, that's people's lives. So, I was the author of that opinion, and the opinion of, uh, referred to the long history of destruction of Pennsylvania's national environment by industry of all sorts, by coal mining, by the timbering of our vast, beautiful forests, and the pollution of our waters and streams by this activity, by the steel-making industry, what happened in Pittsburgh, the sky has turned black by the railroads as they crisscross various parts of our state. Important, of course, but they are also destructive. So we looked at all of those things, and uh, the, the frackers, you know, they said, well, we're not going to be, we're not going to do that. You know, we're not going to pollute anything. And, and that, that, that assessment rings hollow. There was a couple of these guys are taking some of that uh, fracking water out of the well and they're going to dump it in a mine or something in Ohio and they started they said well we'll just dump it in this stream over here just a little stream in the middle of nowhere well that little stream was one of the most important trout streams in the state of Pennsylvania and it killed every living thing in that stream for five miles That does that sounds like they, they're despoiling the environment. So th those claims by them ring hollow today, and you know all the lawsuits and all those things that are going on, and, um, and the earlier historical destruction of our resources and the aesthetic beauty of the state. The DCNR itself, or one of their departments, I'm not sure which, you could correct me, Madam Secretary, if you dare. <laughs> The DCNR estimates that it would cost $15 billion alone, and that's B with a B billion dollars alone to remediate the damage to the environment caused by the coal industry. Even the Schuylkill River, where I live, was poisoned by the release of toxic chemicals by the industry upstream and it made that river undrinkable no matter what you did to it. 
we had to go to the Delaware River, which it probably wasn't a whole lot better, uh, but we could not use that uh, that river. It is now being cleaned up. It is a beautiful part in downtown Philadelphia now, notwithstanding the pickpockets and things like that. So the, the and think about that one thing that comes to mind is the coal mine fire in Centralia, Pennsylvania, that started in 1962. It is still burning to this day. It wiped out an entire town and an entire population. Moved out of it, and 60 years later, this coal mine is still on fire. How about the time that the coal, coal mining wall ceiling fell in, in the Schuylkill River? And the Schuylkill River, I'm sorry, the, what's this river here? The Susquehanna River. The Susquehanna River ran dry because it fell into this coal mine. And fortunately, that was remediated immediately. So, but our opinion also cites that, we're f that we were fully aware of the economic benefits that detriment to the development of property brought to the owners and to the Commonwealth citizens as a whole through revenue. And in the opinion itself, I wrote, and I quote, We do not quarrel with the fact that competing constitutional commands may exist, that sustainable development may require some degradation of the corpus of the trust, and that the distribution of valuable resources may mean that reasonable distinctions are appropriate, but Act 13's blunt approach fails to account for Article 27 at all, and indeed exacerbates the problem of degradation of the environment by offering minimal state protections while disabling local governments we have local government people here disabling their ability to mitigate the impact of oil and gas development at the local level i also wrote to the general assembly in robinson township about the destructive effect of act 13 on how Pennsylvanians live their lives. I wrote, quote, to comply with the constitutional command of the 27th Amendment, the General Assembly must exercise its police powers to foster sustainable development in a manner that respects the reserved rights of the people to a clean, healthy, and aesthetically pleasing environment. And finally, Franklin, getting back to you. <laughs> finally, finally, Franklin, his work wasn't done. I mean, this, is, this amendment's going to be there forever. It's going to affect generations to come, as the language said. But Franklin just went around and he authored a treatise on the environment, and it was published in April 21st and it is available to all at the Environmental Law Institute in Washington, D.C., called The Constitutional Question to Save the Planet. The Planet. The People's Right to a Healthy Environment. And you can get that book, and I advise you to look at it, because he's promised me a 5%. Uh, <laughs> but, but in this treatise, Here's what Franklin wrote. Franklin said uh, that, uh, 
that Franklin said that Robinson Township decision forever changed the environmental constitutional law in Pennsylvania. He wrote that, quote, Castile, meaning me, the chief, not just Castile, you know, <laughs> that, that Castile has truly earned a place in the pantheon of environmental games changers. And I thanked him for that. But Franklin Curry was the game changer, not me. It was the 27th Amendment that was before our court for its interpretation, our interpretation of it, 42 years after its adoption, 42 years. So Franklin was a great advocate for the environment then. He's still a strong advocate for the constitutional protection of the environment of our sister states. He has actually traveled the United States to get information on this book. And when he came to me, you know, I said, Franklin, you're kind of an old fart, you know? <laughs> I said, you're gonna really do this? You're 85, I'm a young, I'm a youngster at 77. So. <laughs> but, but, but I said, you're really gonna do this? So I said, yeah, I'll, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be part of it. And he, he put in a sort of a picture of a, you know, official picture with the robes and all that. He put a picture of me skiing in Colorado on the one ski. And uh, it's different than all the other photos, uh, the, the white guy photos that were in there, the little action photos. Uh, I thought that was great because that skiing pulled me out of the funk that I was in after my 15 months of treatment in the Naval Hospital System where they amputated my leg and I almost lost my life two times and I took up skiing and I could ski anywhere and I skied in Colorado three, th uh, three months for three years and I helped other amputees coming back from Vietnam at that time who were at Fitzsimmons Army Hospital in the city of Denver. So I would say, and I would use the word remarkable, remarkable what you have done Franklin Curry for this environment and for your life work. Franklin Curry, with the help, help of Beth, is most deserving of the honor that you give him today, Madam Secretary, of naming this beautiful location in his name, Curry Point. Congratulations, Franklin Curry, and all that you have done, and congratulations to you and to you all, you all guys, John, you know, the great stuff you do as park rangers. And as I said, thank you again for inviting me here to speak a little bit about what has happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future under the guidance of that amendment that you created in 1971 and the people voted on it. The people decided it, frankly. But you're the author. You're the father. About that. <laughs> <laughs> so congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you.
is a spectacular Justice Castillo. I'm understanding the backstory and rounding out the picture of who you are and, and your interests and what, what led you to that spectacular opinion is uh, something we'll, uh, we'll cherish. And, and we have on tape, by the way, <laughs> so we'll tease that apart. And uh, not only will Franklin Curry's amendment uh, stand in uh, the halls of Pennsylvania's history, but your opinion certainly were, will as well. And uh, you know, calling out what that amendment always said to uh, a lot of us. It's the plain English language of what, what that really means and how that applies to work in government, how that applies um, across the stewardship that uh, public employees take and, and the legislators take as well. Um, just a few minutes here, we're going to bring up uh, uh, Franklin Curry, Senator Curry. I do want to mention, um, you know, John, John House will be getting up afterwards from some logistical things. I know we're going a little long, but hang in there just a few more minutes. I did uh, forget to mention our uh, policy director back there by the tree. She wasn't with the rest. Nicole Farragut is local here, so if you're local and don't know Nicole, uh, i got a number of staff here, but I wanted to call out my, uh, my senior execs who really um, live, live uh, and, and refer to Franklin Curry's work, uh, Castile's opinion frequently in our in our policies and work. Now, how to introduce uh, Franklin Curry? I'm, I'm thinking maybe I won't use the bio for you either. Everyone knows you way better than to know me or anyone here. So I'm just going to take a second to talk about Franklin Curry, the person. Uh, again, he's a veteran, uh, but those who know Franklin, he, he's got a magical touch with human relations. I, I first got to know him as a neighbor. I grew up in Fisher Creek Valley near Beth and Franklin frequent guest at their house and enjoyed your hospitality and it was while Franklin was uh, pitching different good environmental causes and it's one thing women notice and young women particularly do 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 uh, distinguish men with high titles pay any attention at all to their value and this I noticed that very early on in, in my 20s Franklin listened to me I mean no yeah I would ask my opinion on things and uh, that, you know, that was remarkable to me. You know, I, a biologist and a student cared a lot about environmental things, but, you know, highly aware of who paid any attention to that and who didn't. And uh, Franklin is so good with everybody, and I, I suspect that's why he's so successful in getting unanimous support for the amendment uh, from every single legislator, regardless of party affiliation. He talked and listened. He heard uh, needed amendments to make it happen. He's really got... Uh, a, a magical touch and, and, and when he calls us all to a higher standard it, it's not offensive because he understands from where you come and he understands the challenge and he's heard the challenges and uh, he's a remarkable person but uh, all of us who are sitting here today and have the honor of knowing him uh, will we'll, we'll acutely feel that uh, later, is a remarkable person. And we felt it was just critical to put a, a stake in the ground in one of our holiest places, a junction of the Susquehanna, for Franklin Curry to make sure that who he is and what he did never is forgotten. So that uh, Franklin Curry, if you'd like to say anything. Well, thank you, Cindy. I'm going to pretend I was back in the House and not in the Senate, and therefore make a short speech. <laughs> but I am absolutely humbled 
and surprised to be here under these circumstances. I never dreamed when I ran for the House of Representatives in 1966 that anything like this would happen 50 years later. When I ran for the House in 66, I had only two goals. One was win the election and two, fight for a clean streams law. Well, winning the election was the harder of the two because I had to run against a well-established political organization in North Carolina County that controlled the county, but we did it and succeeded. And then the, then the easier part, not easy, but easier, was getting the bills through the House and the Senate because the environmental revolution began in the state legislature about the time I was elected. And there were a lot of legislators from around the state who wanted to do things. So in the five years from 1965 until about 1970, the state legislature passed more environmental laws than in the entire history of Pennsylvania before or since. And I was on the committee that processed all these bills in the House. I didn't write, I only wrote one or two. But they all go through the committee. So the chairman, John Ladadio, and I and others got a chance to evaluate each bill and send it in for approval. So it was in that process that I got the idea we also need a constitutional amendment. And one thing I've learned about politics is it's not a one-man show. It's not golf. It's more like football. If it's golf, it's just you and the golf club and the ball. That's not politics. Politics is like football. You need people with you. We're going to block for you. You're going to tackle with you. Throw your laterals and take forward pass, whatever you got to do. But it's much more like football. So I learned early you need a lot of help in anything important. The same thing is true of Article 1, Section 27. It really started, in a sense, with Deb Beck's father, Bassey. As Cindy pointed out, he was the chairman of the local section of the State Federation of Sportsmen, and he pushed very hard the idea through his columns in the Sudbury Daily Item called Up and Down the River. He wrote about 60 of them over a period of years. And the big question was, who owns the river? It belongs to all of us, not to the coal companies, the electric companies. So that's, that got the thing started. And then I got the thing introduced in the House, and the Democratic leadership, well, he we really wanted to look at an environmental issue, and they liked it. We got it through the Senate. I was through the House, but it still had to go through the Senate. And that's where Jack McGregor, I'm delighted is here, played a very important part. The bill went to his committee. And he made several amendments, as Cindy referred to. One of which is changing the word preserve to conserve. He made two other amendments. Then he came back to the House. And I decided that, looking it over with the leadership, that these amendments actually improved it. So. <laughs> Sorry. That's what the Senate did. That's right. I want Jack McGregor to know that. I think it's he did a terrific job with it. I think conserve rather than preserve makes a lot of sense. But I didn't, that's not the way I introduced it, but that's all right. That's the ideal legislative process. You get a bill in and people can pass constructive judgment. That's what Senator McGregor and others did in the state senate. And they came back, I'll never forget, on Earth Day, 1970, the first Earth Day, when Senator Gaylord Nelson spoke to the House 
I move to approve the amendments made by McGregor and others in the Senate so that the bill could go back next time for public approval. That's what it did. So we had very important help in the state Senate. After we get it through the next year, it went on the ballot, and it's in, as the Chief Justice pointed out, it passed four to one, a million to 250,000. Women's rights only passed two to one. I say that in some attempt to be funny because I always tease my wife about that. But obviously equal rights for women is just as important, but anyhow, it shows what the voters thought that day on the voter, anyhow. Then after that, the bill the amendment became an amendment, Governor Shapton certified it. And as Chief Justice pointed out, it became kind of anesthetized for 40 years because the lower courts and Supreme Court looked at the amendment and did not read the English language. They applied something called the Payne versus Kassab test to anybody questioning the environmental uh, violations under what they were trying to do. And that pretty much was a cost-benefit analysis. And there were 30 or 40 cases brought, and none of them won, because nobody could pass that test. But then the amendment, the bill, came before the Senate again, as Justice Castile pointed out, in the Robinson Township case. And he described that pretty well. I'm not going to have to repeat that. But I know where I was when I learned about it. Beth and I had just come back from Philadelphia. I had just visiting an eye doctor. We were off the train in Hummelstown on Friday afternoon around 3 o'clock. We were back home, and the phone rings. And it's John Dernbach. He said, Franklin, have you seen the opinion? I said, what opinion? He said, I'll send it to you. Well, he sent me all 158 pages that Justice Seale talked about. And Beth and I spent the whole evening reading that again and again and again. And Beth is a former editor of the University of Pittsburgh Law Review. She's a full-fledged lawyer. She's actually won a case in the state Supreme Court. So she, I lost my We were careful about how you said <laughs> Anyhow, we sat, we went over that 158 pages three or four times. We couldn't believe it. Justice Castile and his staff put together a great summary of what the amendment was all about from the legislative history. They quoted from my four speeches, they quoted from my book, they quoted from John Dernbach's Law Review articles. But what they come up with to me, and he, Justice didn't mention this, but I'm going to. I think the most important thing that case did was say to the courts of Pennsylvania, when you interpret Article 1, Section 27, read the plain English language. And if, that, if it doesn't pass that test, then you got a problem. So as a result of that, the Payne versus Kassab test was on its way to the judicial wastebasket. Well, and I think it will stay there because I don't see how any future court could overrule the fundamental principle that use the plain English language in interpreting what the legislature or the Constitution says. I said, I'm going to go back to the House for one minute. There is a Legislative Construction Act that tells legislators how to read language and how do you interpret bills. And the first rule is, what is the plain English meaning? <laughs> so Justice Cecile brought that back to the court in this case. And for that, Mr. Chief Justice, I think he's absolutely magnificent. And this opinion will last for a long time. Because it's going to last forever. And that means the amendment, I think, is in good shape. So, 
here we are now. I just want to thank a lot. There are a lot of people to thank here. And I see, of course, I got to thank my wife Elizabeth. She's been with me for all this time, and she edits everything I do. I was lucky to have a living law review editor with me, <laughs> and she checked up. But it's her idea to get that picture of the two jars of water from Shemokin Creek. It was her idea, and she took the picture. So I just say, Beth, thank you. Then I want to thank Cindy Dunn and all her staff here. For all the work you I've just put a lot of effort into this, and it's wonderful. I just want to say thank you, and I appreciate it. I still a lot of friends here from my days past. I see Yvonne Coble, who was a classmate of mine in Sudbury High School. <laughs> well, take, a, take a stand, Yvonne. Yvonne was. <laughs> Yvonne and I are in the class of 1954, and she's here, and she's the class reporter, so she might say a few words. She has something to say besides obituaries about her <laughs> class members. <laughs> But other friends of mine are here, and I won't go through all of them, my staff, all the former county commissioners. Krista Dewart Summers is here. She worked for me for two summers. All the, uh, you've met Mike Allmiller and John Showers and Peggy Chamberlain. And so I want to say thank you to all of them. And I said before, it's, it's football, not golf, and I had a lot of help along the way. And I, so I'm going to say thank you, thank you, thank you. But the final thing I want to thank this Chief Justice Castillo. Yes. Let me just say, as he pointed out, when I wrote my book about the 50th anniversary, I interviewed people all over the United States. Beth and I flew to Los Angeles. We flew to Oregon. We flew to North Carolina. We drove to Annapolis. We drove to Philadelphia to interview people for the book. But of all the interviews, I think the best was the one with Justice Castillo. He was friendly, he was forthcoming, and since he was off the bench, and I was no longer practicing law, there were no ethical problems with our talking about the cases. But the thing that struck me about him, when I came into his office, I had intended to run that picture of him as the Chief Justice of Full Judicial Robes. But when he told me a story about being flat in his back, at a Philadelphia Naval Hospital, wondering what in the hell am I going to do with the rest of my life without a leg, feeling very down. Then he told me about the chaplain who came and said, why don't you try skiing? He didn't believe it. At first he thought about it, they went over to ski slopes in Jersey, and he learned it. And he got so good he could teach other amputees, which he did. And I think that more than anything else tells what kind of a character, the strength of character he has, and the determination not just to feel sorry for himself, to get off the pity pot and to help others. He did that. And he did it with great esteem. So I, I think that's absolutely wonderful. And then he was a prosecutor of Philadelphia D's office, DA's office. He was a Philadelphia DA for 40 years. Then he ran for the state Supreme Court and won. And I think he'll live forever for telling the courts of Pennsylvania, read the English language, the plain English language. I think that's just as magnificent. So, Ron, I salute you, not only as a distinguished Pennsylvanian, but also for your service to the United States of America. And I salute you. Thank you. So, 
other than that, I just want, I think I've said thank you enough times. I really am overwhelmed by this whole thing. I can't, it's a beautiful place. I appreciate what's done. I want to thank everybody. Thank you and thank you for being here.